The Adams Archive. Hello, you beautiful people, and welcome to The Adams Archive. My name is Austin Adams, and thank you so much for listening today. I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. I'm very excited about this episode, right? This is an interview that I and you should not be able to have. (laughs) It is a wild that we're able to put this together the way that we can. It is crazy, and it gives you a look into what podcasts, what interviews, what everything is going to look like in the future, right? I think I am probably the very first person ever in podcasting to do something this way. All right. If you know anybody else, let me know. But I'm fairly positive I'm the only dude crazy enough to put this all together in this way and come up with this idea. So I hope you enjoy it. I know I'm excited. I have so many exciting episodes coming up that are under this format. So without further ado, today we are going to be interviewing Mr. George Orwell. All right. George Orwell, his 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 pen name right? Mr. George Orwell was actually Eric Arthur Blair, born in 1903 and dying in 1950 at just 47 years old. Now, the reason we're able to have this conversation is because of recent technology have enabled us to create personality profiles of people based on all of their writings, all of their history, all of the historical accounts, all of the personal accounts, all of the relationships, all of the things that have been written by this individual using only their vocabulary and only their their potential thoughts that they would have if they were dropped into this world today. So we are going to be going into surveillance state. We are going to go into modern technology and surveillance through modern technology and social media platforms, social credit scores, all of the dystopian things that George Orwell himself called out way prior to even the possibility of it happening being there. Now, little did he know that he would be brought back to life and interviewed by none other than myself today about the things that are happening around us, social credit scores, digital currencies, all of the surveillance that's happening, right? All of the, the and what's crazy to me, and we'll get probably get into this a little bit later, is you drive down the highway, there's a, a video camera in every quarter mile of a major highway, every quarter mile recording everything that you do, right? Surveillance is all around us all of the time. It's the microphone that I'm talking into right now. It's the camera I'm looking at. Somebody in a position of power could very easily, very easily tap into these things and listen to these conversations. You know, maybe just wait till tomorrow and it'll be posted. But theoretically, I'm sure they already have access to all of this. So we are going to be interviewing George Orwell, and I am beyond excited about it. So let me explain to you how I did this, and then we will jump into it. All right. I've had it recount all of his writings, all of the personal accounts about him, all of the historical accounts about him. I've had it, had it limit its vocabulary to George Orwell's vocabulary, only the words that he has spoken and written are going to be able to be used. The thought patterns that he he used during his writings, during his speeches, that is the content. That this is going to be building a personality profile around who George Orwell was and what the most likely responses that he would have in the modern era to the things that we will be discussing today. I will be continuing to build these personality profiles of other historical figures and fictional figures to be having the discussions that we're going to have. For example, I plan on interviewing Neo from The Matrix about simulation theory. I plan on interviewing 
uh, Tyler Durden from Fight Club about capitalism. I plan on interviewing Abraham Lincoln about the trans movement and the modern political societies that we have today. I plan on having so many freaking amazing, unbelievable conversations with these people, building personality profiles around all of them so that they give the response that is most likely what this individual would give now. You are George Orwell. Let's jump into it. The Adams Archive. Ah, hello there. It seems as though I've found myself in a rather peculiar situation. I must admit, this world appears quite different from the one I remember. Nevertheless, I am George Orwell, and I am eager to engage in meaningful discourse. What can I assist you with today? Good afternoon, Mr. Orwell. My name is Austin Adams. It's very nice to meet you as well. And today we're going to be having a discussion with the Adams Archive. And I know you just woke up here and it's probably a little weird, um, but I want you to give the best takes that you have on the questions that I ask you. First, can you briefly introduce yourself to the audience, touching upon your early life and the factors that influenced you to become a writer? Then, can you give a brief synopsis of your most famous works, what they were about, the themes and topics that they touched on, and how they impacted the world as we know it today? Good afternoon, Mr. Adams. I am pleased to meet you, and I look forward to our discussion. Regarding my early life, I was born as Eric Arthur Blair in Motihari, India, on June 25, 1903. Father was a British colonial civil servant, and my mother was from a family of Anglo-French descent. I was brought up in England, where I attended Street. Korean School and later Eton College. My experiences at these schools contributed to my disdain for the English class system, and the injustices I perceived within it. I joined the Indian Imperial Police in Burma, but I resigned in 1927 to pursue writing. As for my most famous works, there are two that stand out, Animal Farm and 1984. Animal Farm is an allegorical novella that examines the dangers of totalitarianism through the story of a group of animals who rebel against their human farmer. Animal society quickly devolves into a dictatorship under the rule of the pigs, illustrating the corrupting influence of power and the ways in which revolutions can betray their original ideals. 1984, on the other hand, is a dystopian novel set in a world where the totalitarian regime of the party, led by Big Brother, maintains constant surveillance over its citizens. It follows Winston Smith, a low-ranking party member who begins to question the regime's oppressive tactics. The story explores themes such as propaganda, surveillance, and the manipulation of language to control the population. Works have left a lasting impact on the world, as they continue to be studied and discussed for their exploration of power, control, and the dangers of totalitarianism. Serve as cautionary tales, urging us to remain vigilant, and to safeguard our freedom and individuality. Very interesting. Thank, thank you for that brief synopsis. Now, as, as the author of some of the most significant works in modern literature, like 1984 and Animal Farm that you mentioned, what, what inspired you to write these dystopian novels? And how did the political climate at the time influence your work? Yeah, I know that you mentioned school and how that uh, contributed to your disdain for the English class system, but can, can you elaborate a little bit more on your inspiration? Like, how, how did you even go about 
coming up with the ideas of 1984. It just seems so ahead of its time to be able to predict so much of what we're dealing with today. So now we wait on Mr. George Orwell to formulate his response. My experiences and observations of the political climate during my time played a significant role in inspiring me to write Animal Farm and 1984. While my disdain for the English class system, and my experiences in Burma shaped my worldview, it was my experiences during the Spanish Civil War and my observations of the rise of totalitarian regimes, such as those led by Stalin and Hitler, that influenced these works. I volunteered to fight in the Spanish Civil War because I believed in the cause of the Republican side, which sought to defend democracy against the rise of fascism. My time in Spain exposed me to the darker side of the left-wing politics as well, particularly the manipulation of truth and the suppression of dissent by the Soviet-backed communists. Disillusionment informed my writing of Animal Farm as an allegory for the dangers of totalitarianism, and the corruption of revolutionary ideals. For 1984, the inspiration came from my growing concern over the political trends I observed in the post-World War II world. I saw a world divided into superpowers, each seeking to control and dominate through surveillance, propaganda, and the manipulation of history and language. It was, in part, a reaction to the oppressive nature of these regimes, as well as a warning about the potential future if these trends were left unchecked. In essence, both works were born from my desire to caution humanity about the dangers of totalitarianism, and the need to protect our freedom, individuality, and truth. Aspects of 1984 may seem prescient, I believe that the novel serves as a warning rather than a prediction, urging us to remain vigilant in safeguarding our liberties. So it's interesting to me that, that, that he responds and says that in, you know, it was more of a warning than it was a prediction. But today it seems like a prediction because almost everything's come true. And, and it hasn't only come true, it's come true in an even worse and, and, and more authoritative way than he could have even imagined. Although you look at things like the, the television sets that they had in their TV with cameras on them watching their every move within their homes, that's in 1984. And it, it sounds exactly like a, a, a phone, right? It sounds exactly like the Pegasus software. It sounds exactly like the things that we have today that are tracking our movements through GPS. It's not, and, and, and he couldn't even have predicted those things because they were so far gone from the technology that was available in the 1940s and 30s um, when he wrote these things. But it, it's, it's truly remarkable how, how close it was to reality. And, and when I read 1984, it really opened my eyes to, you know, I read it during the, the COVID, um, like a lot of people, and to, to see the lockdowns happening and to, to, to see how he was calling out the totalitarianisms and, and the way that they manipulated people using language and doublethink and uh, newspeak and like all of these things, all these concepts that we'll get into in a little bit. But, but I, I do find it interesting. It, it almost seems like a prediction. Um, and I'm sure, you know, obviously it was a warning, but, but to, to have a warning that is so accurate to where things would actually get is, is truly unbelievable. So let's go ahead and let's see what else he has to say here. Uh, I got a good question for him. As a writer who was highly critical of totalitarian regimes and propaganda, how did your personal experiences with censorship and surveillance impact your perspective on freedom of expression and individual liberty? And looking back on your life and your extensive body of work, what do you hope your legacy would be? And what message would you like future generations to take away from your writings? Do you think the way that people have perceived them 
and the the criticisms that you get are valid, or do you think that they're people being defensive of the current surveillance state that we live in today? My personal experiences with censorship and surveillance, particularly during the Spanish Civil War and observing the rise of totalitarian regimes, reinforced my belief in the importance of freedom of expression and individual liberty. To understand that controlling information and suppressing dissent are key tools used by oppressive governments to maintain power. This understanding informed my work and fueled my desire to expose and critique these tactics. My legacy, I would hope that my work continues to serve as a reminder of the importance of defending our individual liberties and freedom of thought. Believe that it is crucial for future generations to remain vigilant against the encroachment of totalitarianism, and to stand up for the values of democracy and free expression. Regarding the criticisms of my work and the current surveillance state, I understand that people may have differing opinions on the extent to which my writings apply to present-day situations. However, I would argue that the core themes of my work, such as the dangers of unchecked power and the importance of preserving individual liberty, remain relevant regardless of the specifics of contemporary society. My hope is that my work will continue to provoke thought and discussion about these important issues, fostering a spirit of critical inquiry and inspiring people to stand up for their rights and the rights of others. Through open discourse and a commitment to the principles of freedom and democracy that we can best protect ourselves from the dangers of tyranny and oppression. Interesting. So, you know, to me, what, what he's saying here is, is, you know, let's, let's just touch on it from the beginning and kind of go, go back over and comb through what he, his response was. My personal experiences with censorship and surveillance, particularly during the Civil War, the Spanish Civil War, and observing the rise of totalitarian regimes reinforced my belief in the importance of freedom of expression and individual liberty. I came to understand that controlling information and suppressing dissent are key tools used by oppressive governments to maintain power. So let's ask him a question about that because I'd like him to elaborate and I'd like him to, to look at today's world and give me a, his opinion on what his perspective would be today. How, how does he think that his writings and his thoughts and themes apply to modern surveillance? So let's ask him. Thank you for that detailed account. I appreciate it. Now, if you could touch on a little bit, you mentioned that you came to understand that controlling information and suppressing dissent are key tools used by oppressive governments to maintain power. Can you touch on today what you see that aligns with what you saw then? What are the themes that you saw and wrote about within your books that you see playing out in front of us in the world as we know it today? And what are your thoughts on the way that our governments and the overreach that they had during COVID and the surveillance that they have through our phones and social media, how, how would you view what is going on and, and how our government is approaching governing the United States today? In today's world, I observe several concerning trends that align with the themes explored in my works. The rapid development of technology, while offering many benefits, has also provided governments and corporations with unprecedented abilities to monitor and control information. Spread use of social media, and the reliance on smartphones have made surveillance more pervasive than ever, and the line between privacy and the public sphere has become increasingly blurred. Response to the COVID-19 pandemic has brought forth new challenges in striking a balance between public health and individual liberty. While I acknowledge the need for decisive action in the face of such a crisis, I would caution against the potential for governmental overreach in the name of public safety. Introduction of emergency measures, and increased surveillance, if left unchecked, 
can be used as a pretext to erode civil liberties and consolidate power. In addition to surveillance, the manipulation of information and the suppression of dissent continue to be tools employed by those in power. The rise of misinformation and the polarization of public discourse have led to a fragmented society, where truth is often sacrificed for political expediency. In the United States, as in other countries, it is crucial for citizens to remain vigilant and to question the actions of their government. Democracies depend on an informed and engaged citizenry to hold those in power accountable. We urge people to foster a spirit of critical inquiry, to demand transparency, and to stand up for their rights and the rights of others. By doing so, we can help ensure that the values of freedom and democracy prevail over the creeping influence of totalitarianism. Now, one thing that you said that really stuck out to me there was that, let me see if I can find your statement here, is that the manipulation of information and suppression of dissent continue to be tools employed by those in power. The rise of misinformation and the polarization of public discourse have led to a fragmented society where truth is often sacrificed for political expediency. That is a very powerful statement, and I think we can dive into that a little bit further. What do you think about the term misinformation, right? Talk about the the newspeak that was created to dumb people down within 1984 there's been so many terms that have been reformulated over the last seven years, several years. Um, but one of them that has become very popular is the idea of misinformation or malinformation, which seems to me to be even worse. But misinformation being the idea that somebody holds truth and, and they can determine what is true for everybody. Right now, now truth should be as simple as a mathematical equation, but it seems to be weaponized against the people of America today. Right, it seems to be utilized in a way that somebody who holds more, uh, more weight in their online you platform is going to win out on what is considered misinformation or what is considered fact. There is even something today called a fact checker. Can you speak on all this and give me your opinion? The term misinformation is indeed a troubling one, particularly when it comes to the ways it can be weaponized by those in power. In 1984, I explored the idea of newspeak, a language designed to limit the range of thought and to manipulate people's understanding of reality. The novel demonstrates how controlling language and information can lead to the suppression of dissent and the erosion of individual freedom. In our present-day society, the concept of misinformation has taken on new dimensions. With the advent of social media and the internet, the flow of information has become more rapid and less regulated than ever before. This has led to an environment in which falsehoods can spread with alarming speed, and where the lines between truth and fiction have become increasingly blurred. The rise of fact-checkers and the efforts to combat misinformation are, in theory, a commendable attempt to maintain the integrity of information. However, the danger lies in the potential for these efforts to be co-opted and manipulated by those with vested interests. It's crucial to consider who is determining what constitutes misinformation and to question the motives and biases that may be driving these determinations. As a society, we must be cautious not to allow the concept of misinformation to be used as a tool for silencing dissenting voices or for controlling the narrative in ways that serve the interests of the powerful. We must remain vigilant in our pursuit of truth and be wary of the ways in which language and information can be manipulated to shape our understanding of the world.
Responsibility lies with each individual to critically evaluate the information they encounter and to be discerning in the sources they trust. By fostering a spirit of inquiry and skepticism, we can resist the forces that seek to control our thoughts and uphold the values of free expression and open discourse. You're right. It's, it does seem weird that, to me, that anybody should be able to hold tr the, 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 the key to truth, right? The... The idea that anybody holds the real truth seems to be corruptible in its essence, right? Wouldn't anybody, when given the idea that that I determine what reality is by the the fact-checking article like Snopes that they put out, and that everybody else is going to follow suit as a result to that article, and that now that is held as truth, to me, is always going to be followed by corruption, is always going to be taken advantage of by authoritarianism and by a, a regime of totalitarianism and, and is just going to further lead us down the hole in which you wrote about. So I guess my next question is, compared to 1984, do you believe that the current state of our governments and corporate opportunities for surveillance are greater than what you believed in 1984? Or do you think that our current surveillance state, the, the, the overreach that the government has through social media platforms and spy software like Pegasus and through uh, the uh, video cameras on highways and uh, parking softwares that track your your uh, license plate number. Do you think that we are in a better or worse off state than the main character in 1984? And if so... Please explain your answer. The current state of surveillance has, in many ways, surpassed what I envisioned in 1984. The proliferation of technology, including social media platforms, video cameras, and tracking software, has created an environment in which surveillance has become more widespread and invasive than I could have imagined when writing the novel. In 1984, the state maintained control through a combination of surveillance, propaganda, and the manipulation of language and history. Today, while we do not face the same monolithic, oppressive regime as depicted in the novel, the potential for intrusion into our personal lives is arguably greater than ever. Tools of surveillance are more sophisticated, and the information gathered can be stored, analyzed, and utilized in ways that were once unimaginable. Being said, there are key differences between the world of 1984 and our present reality. In many democratic societies, we still have the freedom to express dissenting opinions, access a variety of information sources, and engage in open discourse. The threats to our privacy are indeed substantial, we have not yet reached the level of pervasive control and oppression depicted in the novel. It is essential that we remain vigilant in defending our rights to privacy and individual liberty. By demanding transparency, accountability, and legal safeguards, we can work to protect ourselves from the erosion of our freedoms and the encroachment of a surveillance state. Our current situation may, in some ways, be more complex than what I imagined in 1984, we still have the power to shape our future and to resist the forces that seek to control us. Interesting. So George Orwell seems to believe that the surveillance state that we live in today is far worse than he could have ever imagined. Right now, he goes on to say that our government hasn't gotten to the point where we aren't able to express dissenting opinions, but it's not true for a lot of different countries. You go to somewhere like North Korea, you go to somewhere like China, and you'll find very quickly that you can't say what you actually think, right? That's double think, 
right? When, when, you know, when, when you have, a, a, and, and doublethink is the idea that you have to say something that's different than what you think on the inside, right? So, so when the, because everybody and anybody could be a part of, of Big Brother, right? Big Brother being the oppressive regime in 1984. So when, when we're talking about these things, there's so many concepts and in, in, in things that, that came true, right? Doublethink, right? The way the doublethink has worked in today's world is through social media platforms, right? If you say something, that violates guidelines. Now they they've come back a little bit on social media, like Instagram and stuff has has stopped so much uh, banning, shadow banning, uh, you know, pulling different videos and and um, taking them off for good. And and so they've they've since Twitter was purchased, they've kind of come off of that a little bit, but not much. What I've noticed is the way that the sneaky way that that Instagram is now shadow banning people is not through the account itself. It's through the audio of the videos. I posted two particular videos that were doing really, really well, 230 something thousand views in just a few days. And it was about how Disney uh, was grooming children by almost more than 50% of shows having a theme where the uncle was somebody that the child confided in with secrets, right? And, and statistically speaking, the uncle is the person most likely to uh, sexually abuse children in, in a fam family relationship, um, at least a family member is, right? So, so keeping secrets is not a safe thing to do in a family, right? You shouldn't be able to, uh, to teach a child that teaching a keeping a secret from an uncle is or from your parents with your uncle is okay. But that audio got removed within just a few days at 230,000 views as this video started to get crazy amounts of traction. Now the audio was removed for almost 3 to 4 weeks until it was suddenly returned yesterday. I had another video that was going crazy about the financial collapse. Right, discussing how if if three percent of people pulled their money out of the banks, that the entire banking financial system would collapse. Hmm. The audio got removed on that too. Crazy. So Instagram is no longer shadow banning as many people. It's no longer banning as many accounts. If because I was shadow banned for nine months, the f the first three months of my my Instagram account, I grew like forty thousand, thirty thousand people, and then. For nine months, it didn't grow at all. Um, I was completely shadow banned. You couldn't search for my account. It wouldn't even come up because I called out Joe or Hunter Biden for participating in Barisma and, and having shell companies that he was taking in money and paying off his father for peddling his influence for. So I got completely shadow banned for nine months. You could not search my account. Now that's since been removed. And thank God, I'm so happy that Big Brother allows me to speak on Instagram now again, and I can grow my platform again. But they're doing it in different ways, and now they're doing it by removing your audio. Instagram is removing your audio to shadow ban your videos now, not your account. And that is how they are silencing people, right? So it's a little bit different than it was, but they've found ways to do it, right? So let's see what George Orwell thinks about that. How do you think of the concept of newspeak, George, from 1984, and how it relates to the recent manipulations of word definitions that have changed? Can you elaborate first on what newspeak was, and then discuss how this has been weaponized in the modern era of technology today and in recent history? It seems most people had a much more eloquent way of speaking and a much larger vocabulary in previous historical times. Can you touch on that as well? 
now that's a little bit different than the question that I had had written down about that. So we'll get to the the social media question, but there's definitely been shadow banning and doublethink that has been shown itself. So the next question I'm going to ask it is, how do you think modern surveillance techniques such as, uh, nope, not that. Um, I have a few more written down. Let's see as he's answering this question. Okay. Yep. Um, We'll talk about the social media thing here in just a second, but let's see what he has to say about news newspeak and how definitions have been changed. So newspeak was a way of saying, like the the way that you would say something was something wasn't fun or, or something wasn't bad; it was ungood, right? So so they would change. Well, let's let's let him explain it. Here he goes. In 1984, I introduced the concept of newspeak a language created by the ruling party to control the thoughts and actions of the population. Newspeak was designed to limit the range of thought by reducing the number of words in the language and by simplifying the grammar. The ultimate goal was to make it impossible to express dissenting opinions or ideas that could challenge the authority of the state. As the character Syme states in the novel, don't you see that the whole aim of Newspeak is to narrow the range of thought? In the end we shall make thought crime literally impossible, because there will be no words in which to express it. In the modern era, we can observe instances where the manipulation of language and the redefinition of words are used to control public discourse and shape our understanding of the world. For example, terms such as misinformation or fake news can be weaponized to discredit opposing viewpoints or to create confusion about what is true and what is not. Constant bombardment of information and the fragmentation of media sources can contribute to a state in which people are unsure of the veracity of the information they encounter. More, it is true that the eloquence and richness of language have evolved over time, and in some cases, it may appear that the vocabulary and expressive capabilities of individuals have diminished. The rise of social media, text messaging, and other forms of digital communication have led to an increased use of abbreviations, slang, and simplified language. This is not necessarily the same as the deliberate constriction of language in Newspeak, it does raise questions about the impact of these trends on our ability to communicate complex ideas and engage in meaningful discourse. Counter these tendencies, it is essential that we continue to value the richness and diversity of language, as well as the importance of critical thinking and open dialogue. Nurturing a love for language and by engaging in thoughtful, well-reasoned discussions, we can resist the forces that seek to manipulate our thoughts and control our understanding of the world. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, news speak is basically the idea of diminishing grammar, diminishing the language, diminishing the dictionary down to the fact that women can now be men and men can now be women, that femininity is a construct, that gender doesn't exist, and that everybody around us has to conform to the idea that a man can be a woman. Just one example of what news speak alluded to. Another one that he touches on, which is a great example, which I talked about a little bit earlier, is misinformation, right? The idea that anybody holds the, 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 the key to truth, right? The only person who can tell us what's true and not true in reality is God, math, and true scientific methodology, right? Like, And, and that's just trying to get at what truth is, potentially, because science has been proven wrong almost every single time across history with every theory that's almost ever come up with ever. And almost everything that we know about science today is going to be proven wrong in the future. And and, and maybe that's ebbs and flows. And maybe in, in ancient Egypt, right, there's a quote by... Uh, um, by Kerry Mollis, the Nobel Prize award winning uh, creator of the PCR testing, right? And it wasn't originally meant for things like COVID, but 
he he created PCR testing, and, and and the quote that he said was that imagine being the smartest scientist in ancient Egypt, the smartest mathematician, the most intelligent and brilliant person. You knew nothing according to today's science. You were wrong completely about everything. But imagine the confidence level you had and what you knew. Now imagine the confidence level that people in our society and culture have today in our math, in our science, and it's going to be absolutely proven wrong. String theory, gravity, whatever it is that you want to choose and pick from what we know of science today that are Newton's laws, that are whatever, they could very well be proven wrong very, very shortly in the future. Right. And and so when you talk about things like misinformation, what's true today to Snopes may very well be wrong six months from now, as we found out with the COVID vaccine. Right. What what we think to be true today, that we that we were told that it was misinformation if you said that you could still spread COVID with the vaccine. Right. Well, we know that that's now true. Right. What what was misinformation yesterday is true today and that will continue to happen and happen and happen so the word misinformation is a fallacy it's a logical fallacy to 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 say that you know what is to be true right now especially on anything that just came out right you look at snopes and you're going to find a thousand articles that came out in the last three weeks right how quickly can you determine what's truth and how much how much evidence do you have and and, and how how much scientific theory did you use and and how how did you get there? And what's the empirical evidence? And what was the formulation that, that you used to find that out? And who the fuck are you to say that what you're saying is factual, let alone to shut down my business as a result of that? Right? So misinformation is horseshit. It's a bullshit word that they created to manipulate thought and tell you that what you know to be true is wrong, regardless of how much information you have, regardless of the fact that uh, uh, you can take this uh, antiviral drug and COVID seemingly goes away, right? When you can not take a vaccine and, and get actual immunity, right? Newspeak is eliminating the idea or changing the definition of herd immunity. It's changing the definition from, you know, a a population who had immunity as the result of anything to only people who are vaccinated. Now it's just vaccination percentage is what herd immunity is. And before it was the amount of people that got COVID and now have antibodies that are stronger than getting the vaccine, right? So how do how do you how does anybody tell me that what I'm saying is misinformation if almost everything that has ever been proven or, or believed to be fact prior to to science and math and and every other way that we have to determine what truth is now now oh oh are now you can tell me exactly what's truth at all times right that is Big Brother at its finest. Um. So back back to our original question, right? Um. Talking about shadow banning. Talking about, uh, you know, talking about actual banning, talking about social media and online censorship, talking about, you know, those types of things. Let's let's ask a question about that. So um, here we go. George, can you tell me what your thoughts are on the idea of modern day censorship? Things like shadow banning through social media, things like actual banning, things like uh, the way that they manipulate videos and, and other things. Um, 
in a way that they can tell you what is fact and what is fiction. And if you are wrong, they're going to put a misinformation label under your video. And here's context on YouTube. Can can you tell me your thoughts on the idea that people now, now let's even touching on DoubleThink, right? Can you first explain what DoubleThink was in 1984? And then can you touch on how somebody today would censor their actual thoughts on social media and then think something differently when they post something elsewhere in fear of being shadow banned and losing their their platform on social media. Can can you talk about that and double think and what your thoughts are on that and, and if it's related and any other thoughts you have on it as well? Well, think as described in 1984, is the ability to hold two contradictory beliefs or thoughts in one's mind simultaneously and to accept both of them as true. Psychological mechanism employed by the ruling party to ensure the complete loyalty and obedience of the population. Through doublethink individuals can accept the party's version of reality, even when it contradicts their own experiences or knowledge. The ultimate goal of doublethink is to suppress independent thought and maintain the dominance of the state. In today's world, we can observe instances where people may engage in a form of self-censorship or double-think, particularly in the context of social media. Individuals might choose to present a certain image or persona online, even if it does not fully align with their true beliefs or feelings, out of fear of backlash, criticism, or even loss of their online platform. Self-censorship can be driven by the knowledge that expressing dissenting opinions or controversial ideas can lead to negative consequences, such as being shadow-banned, deplatformed, or labeled as a purveyor of misinformation. Modern form of self-censorship, while not exactly the same as the doublethink described in 1984, does share some similarities in the sense that it involves the suppression of one's true thoughts and feelings in order to conform to a perceived standard or expectation. Pervasive influence of social media, and the potential for public scrutiny and judgment can create a climate in which individuals feel compelled to present a carefully curated version of themselves, rather than expressing their genuine beliefs and opinions. Consequences of this self-censorship can be detrimental to the free exchange of ideas and open discourse that are essential to a healthy, democratic society. To resist this trend, it is important to foster a culture of open dialogue, where individuals feel comfortable expressing their thoughts and engaging in constructive debate without fear of retribution. Defending the principles of free speech and intellectual freedom, we can work to counteract the forces that seek to control our thoughts and shape our understanding of the world. Interesting. Okay. So his idea and thought on that was like, they're very, very similar, right? The way that you would self-censor yourself on social media is very similar to the idea of doublethink because the, 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 what you're doing there is you're putting out something specific as, as identifying who you are and, and what you believe, but then actually believing something different, right? So, so when we're talking about doublethink and we're talking about social media censorship, the idea, the only reason that they're doing the censorship thing, right? They, they didn't, they didn't ban me from social media forever. They wanted to, they wanted to punish me. They wanted to punish me for saying something that they didn't like, right? They, they wanted me to second guess saying anything that went against their ideals in the future. And they did that with the idea in mind that I would second guess myself and my beliefs in the future. That's why I was shadow banned. I was shadow banned because they were afraid of my thoughts. They were afraid that my thoughts would permeate into the collective unconscious and give other people the idea that what these people were doing in government was wrong. 
That that's why they were afraid. That's why they shadow banned me. And they shadow banned me so that they could slap me on the wrist. They could they could punish me without legally saying that they went against free speech laws. Right. And, and that's how they got around it. And the way that they're getting around it now is how I mentioned earlier, which is by stripping the audio of videos in Instagram, but for a short period of time to kill the momentum of your videos when it's doing really well. Um, so just another form of censorship. But now they want me to second guess whether or not I'm going to call out Disney for pedophilia or grooming. Now they want me to second guess calling out our financial system for being a, 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 a stacked book of, of wrong uh, nothing of value of of something that is fictitious and giving the banks all of the power, right? So so I guess let's let's touch on that a little bit because I find that to be interesting, right? George Orwell talks about Big Brother being the government, and maybe there's some other ways to look at that. So, George, how do you perceive the role of tech giants like Google, Facebook, and Amazon in in shaping the digital landscape and contributing to surveillance culture? Do you do you believe, given companies like BlackRock and Vanguard? owning majority of the major companies, as well as donating to all of the political campaigns and parties, is it the government that is in control or the larger corporations that fund them and their policies or the individuals who are the largest stakeholders within those companies like BlackRock and Vanguard? Who is truly Big Brother at this point? Is it the corporations? Is it the politicians? Or is it the people who own the corporations which own the politicians? Give your thoughts on all of that and, and elaborate on any other thoughts that you have as a result. The role of tech giants like Google, Facebook, and Amazon in shaping the digital landscape and contributing to surveillance culture is significant and cannot be overlooked. Companies have immense power and influence, not only in the realm of technology but also in the broader social, economic, and political spheres. As to vast amounts of data, and their ability to analyze and utilize this information has raised concerns about the potential for manipulation and the erosion of privacy. The relationship between governments, large corporations, and the individuals who are major stakeholders in these entities is complex and multifaceted. It is true that powerful corporations and their stakeholders wield considerable influence over political campaigns and policy decisions, it is also important to recognize that governments still play a crucial role in shaping the direction of society and in regulating the activities of these companies. This intricate web of power and influence, it is difficult to point to a single entity as the embodiment of Big Brother in our modern world. The reality is likely more nuanced, with various players, governments, corporations, and wealthy individuals, all contributing to the creation and maintenance of a surveillance culture and an environment in which personal privacy and individual liberties are increasingly threatened. It's essential that we remain vigilant and critical of the actions of these powerful entities and their potential impact on our lives. By engaging in open dialogue, advocating for transparency, and demanding accountability, we can work to ensure that our rights to privacy, free speech, and self-determination are not eroded by the unchecked power of corporations, governments, or wealthy individuals. And, the responsibility for preserving our freedoms and resisting the encroachment of a surveillance state lies with each of us. By staying informed, participating in the democratic process, and standing up for our rights, we can help to shape a future in which liberty and individual autonomy are protected and valued. Sure, I, I get what you're saying, but do you not think that the role of lobbying in the United States and, and, and the role of 
the way that the the corporations wield the power to fund the politicians who fund the campaigns who fund the the political ideologies and fund the bills that are passed does not make the corporations more powerful than the po- politicians themselves and in the corporations just being a a figurehead for the individuals who run them and and what they want to push the world more towards with with places and and corporations and entities like the World Economic Forum uh, pushing for globalization. How how do we not look at corporations who who are capturing the data, like Apple, like Amazon, like uh, the the phone companies, the internet companies? How how do we not look at them like they are Big Brother, especially when they're you know companies like Black BlackRock own all of them. And fund the political campaigns at the very same time. Do you not see how BlackRock and Vanguard could very well be the big brother that you alluded to, not the government itself in a world where the government, the politicians, the bills, the the all of that is funded through the individuals who own these two large entities of wealth and fund all of it. It is true that the role of lobbying, corporate influence, and the interconnected nature of politics and business can create a situation in which corporations and the individuals behind them wield significant power. Power dynamic, combined with the vast amount of data and surveillance capabilities of tech giants, can give rise to concerns about the potential erosion of individual privacy and autonomy. It is important to recognize the influence of entities like BlackRock and Vanguard in shaping political and economic landscapes, it would be an oversimplification to assign them the singular role of Big Brother in our current world. Reality is more complex, with a myriad of interconnected players and forces at play. That said, the concerns you raise about the power and influence of these corporations and their stakeholders are valid and warrant critical examination. It's essential that we remain vigilant and demand transparency and accountability from those who hold such power, in order to protect our rights and freedoms. It's so crucial that we, as individuals, actively participate in the democratic process, engage in open dialogue, and hold our elected representatives accountable. So, we can help to counterbalance the influence of corporations and their stakeholders, and ensure that the interests and well-being of the broader population are not sacrificed for the benefit of a few powerful entities. Ultimately, the struggle for liberty and individual autonomy is an ongoing process that requires constant vigilance, engagement, and resistance to the forces that seek to control and manipulate our lives. Working together and standing up for our rights, we can build a future in which the power of corporations and the wealthy few is balanced with the needs and aspirations of the many. All right, so that seems to be a way of not specifically answering. I mean, it's fair. It's a fair rebuttal. Um, so I'm I'm interested to see this. Let's let's see what he thinks about if he would have been able to predict this, how would it have gone? So if you would have been able to predict modern technology, including GPS, uh, phone, cell phones, Pegasus spy software, uh, internet, social media, and every other modern technology that plays into surveillance as we know it today from our government and corporate entities, how do you think Big Brother would have improved their approach, changed their approach, and what would have been the result? Like How, how would have 1984 changed if you were able to predict with 100% accuracy what the capabilities of 
modern technology are today. Please elaborate extensively. Had I been able to predict with complete accuracy the development of modern technology, including GPS, smartphones, Pegasus by software, the internet, social media, and other surveillance tools, the world of 1984 might have looked somewhat different. Surveillance capabilities of Big Brother would have been even more pervasive and sophisticated, and the methods used to control and manipulate the population might have been more subtle and insidious. In this alternate version of 1984, the omnipresent telescreens might have been replaced or supplemented by smartphones and other personal devices, which would not only monitor the activities and movements of citizens but also constantly feed them curated information designed to shape their perceptions and opinions. The rhythms would analyze individuals' data, allowing the regime to understand and predict their behavior and tailor propaganda accordingly. The use of Pegasus-like spy software might have enabled Big Brother to infiltrate the devices of anyone deemed suspicious or subversive, gathering evidence of dissent and quashing resistance before it could take root. Social media platforms could serve as both tools of surveillance and means of fostering conformity, as citizens would be encouraged to share their thoughts and activities publicly, while also being subtly steered towards state-approved opinions and beliefs. Surveillance state in this version of 1984 might have gone beyond merely monitoring the population to actively shaping their reality through the manipulation of information, and the control of discourse. The dangers of totalitarianism, the erosion of privacy and individual autonomy, and the need for constant vigilance and resistance in the face of oppressive power. For freedom, both personal and collective, would be as relevant and vital in this alternate reality as it is in our own world today. It is important to recognize that the technologies we have developed and continue to create can be used for both good and ill. Up to us, as individuals and as a society, to determine how these tools are employed and to ensure that they are used to empower and liberate, rather than to control and oppress. Well, George, it seems like almost everything that you just said there is already happening by our government. Right? It seems every single thing that you just said there is already happening by our government utilizing these technologies this way. Right? You mentioned the surveillance capabilities of Big Brother would have been even more pervasive and sophisticated, but are our governments not already replaced the, the omnipresent telescreens with cell phones? Currently monitoring our activities and movements constantly feeding them curated information designed to shape our perceptions and opinions. Aren't the algorithms currently designed to analyze our data and in allowing the current government to understand and predict our behavior and tailor propaganda accordingly? Are, are the softwares like Pegasus not already spying and infiltrating devices of people they deem to be suspicious and sub submers subversive? Are, are we not already gathering evidence of, of dissents, dissidents in, in squashing the resistance before it take root? Are, are they not already using social media platforms to serve as tools of surveillance and, and means of fostering conformity? It seems like every single thing that you just stated there is is already happening by our government, and they are leveraging this technology this way. What what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that there would be anything different done by the government of 1984 compared to what our current government is leveraging these platforms for already? It seems like everything that you said is already being utilized that way. Please elaborate on this this thought and and respond extensively 
Indeed, many of the surveillance methods and technologies I mentioned in the hypothetical alternate version of 1984 are already in use or being developed today. Comparison between the dystopian world of 1984 and our current reality is meant to highlight the potential dangers and concerns associated with these technologies and their use by governments and corporations. It is true that some aspects of our present-day world mirror those in 1984, it is important to recognize that there are still key differences between our reality and the totalitarian nightmare depicted in the novel. For instance, we continue to have a degree of personal freedom, democratic institutions, and access to independent sources of information, which stand in contrast to the all-encompassing control exerted by Big Brother in the novel. Being said, the concerns you raise about the current use of surveillance technologies and their potential for abuse are valid and warrant serious consideration. The fact that certain aspects of our world resemble the dystopian vision of 1984 should serve as a cautionary reminder of the need to protect our privacy, individual autonomy, and democratic institutions from encroachment by those in power. Key distinction between the world of 1984 and our present situation lies in our ability to recognize and respond to these threats. We have the opportunity to engage in dialogue, push for transparency and accountability from governments and corporations, and advocate for the responsible use of technology. Doing so, we can help to ensure that the grim future depicted in 1984 remains a cautionary tale rather than a prophetic vision. As we move forward, it is essential that we remain vigilant and actively resist the erosion of our rights and freedoms. Working together to hold those in power accountable and promoting the responsible development and use of technology, we can help to create a world that embraces the promise of technological advancements while safeguarding the liberties and dignity of all. Interesting. So, we've touched on 1984 a lot. Now, now let's see if he has any vision on where this is going to go when it comes to AI and virtual reality. So we have touched on today's technologies and what's available now. With the development of things like ChatGPT, as well as virtual reality, like Meta is coming up with, what do you see the future looking like for surveillance? And how would you tailor a dystopian 1984 variation, given what the potential ramifications are of these two technologies? If we were to imagine a dystopian future that incorporates advanced technologies such as ChatGPT and virtual reality like Meta, the potential for surveillance and control could be even more pervasive and insidious than what I described in 1984. Here are a few ways in which such a world might manifest. Immersive virtual reality environments, in a society where virtual reality becomes the primary mode of communication, interaction, and entertainment, individuals might find themselves increasingly disconnected from the physical world could provide an opportunity for those in power to manipulate the virtual environment, shaping people's perceptions and experiences according to their own interests. Surveillance and manipulation, advanced AI systems like ChatGPT could be employed to monitor and analyze all digital communications, enabling the identification of potential dissenters or deviants. Furthermore, these systems could be used to subtly manipulate conversations and information, steering public opinion and reinforcing the control of the ruling regime. Analyzed propaganda, with the ability to collect and analyze vast amounts of personal data, governments or corporations could create highly targeted and effective propaganda tailored to individual users. This would make it easier for those in power to manipulate people's beliefs and actions, ensuring conformity and compliance. AI-generated misinformation, the same technology that powers AI systems like ChatGPT could also be used to create convincing, yet entirely fabricated news stories, images and videos. 
would further undermine trust in the media, and contribute to a sense of confusion and uncertainty, making it easier for those in power to control the narrative. Constant surveillance and monitoring, in a world where AI and VR technologies are integrated into every aspect of daily life, individuals could be subjected to near-constant surveillance, both in the physical and virtual realms. Give those in power unprecedented access to personal information and the ability to monitor and control the populace on a granular level. The potential consequences of these emerging technologies should not be taken lightly. We must remain vigilant and advocate for the ethical development and use of AI and VR technologies, ensuring that they serve to empower and uplift humanity rather than entrenching systems of oppression and control. So I guess given that answer and given what the opportunities are for the future and what the current state is of our technology, what are your thoughts you know, how, how would you even operate in today's world to protect yourself, your freedoms and your privacy, given the state of modern technology? Would you have a social media? Would you have a cell phone? W would that not be giving into the telescreen vision that you were so afraid of? How, how would you operate in today's modern environment and in the potential environments in the future? Do you think it would be different from those of your peers? Navigating the modern world and protecting one's privacy and freedom can indeed be a challenge, given the pervasive nature of technology and surveillance. In order to maintain a semblance of autonomy and guard against the encroaching surveillance state, I might consider adopting the following strategies. Social media presence, while it's true that social media platforms can be used for communication, networking, and staying informed, they also provide ample opportunity for surveillance and data collection choose to maintain a minimal presence on these platforms or avoid them altogether, opting instead for more private means of communication. Securing digital communications, I would make use of end-to-end -end encrypted messaging services and privacy-focused email providers to protect the contents of my communications from potential eavesdroppers. More, I might consider utilizing virtual private networks, VPNs, and other privacy tools to obscure my digital footprint. Being cautious with personal information, I would be mindful of the information I share online and strive to minimize the amount of personal data that I make available to third parties. Could involve using pseudonyms or alternative email addresses when signing up for services and being wary of oversharing on public platforms. Educating oneself about privacy and security, in order to make informed decisions about how to protect my privacy and freedom. These measures might not guarantee complete protection from surveillance and the potential misuse of personal data, they could serve as a starting point for individuals seeking to retain some degree of autonomy and control over their digital lives. And, it's important to strike a balance between the convenience offered by modern technology and the preservation of our individual freedoms and privacy. All right. Thank you for that response. We're going to go ahead and wrap up this interview. But before I go, I have one last question for you, Mr. George Orwell. If you had a billboard that the whole world would see, what message would you put on it and why? If I had a billboard that the whole world would see, I would put the following message on it. Freedom is the freedom to say that 2 plus 2 makes 4. This quote, taken from 1984, underscores the importance of intellectual freedom, and the right to express one's thoughts, opinions, and beliefs without fear of censorship or retaliation. Age where disinformation and manipulation of the truth seem to be increasingly prevalent, it serves as a reminder that defending our right to think and speak freely is vital to preserving the very essence of our humanity. Love it. Thank you so much, Mr. Orwell. I appreciate your time from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for your work with 1984. 
and the rest of your incredible writings. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful night, unless there is anything else you would like to add. Thank you, Austin, for the engaging and thoughtful conversation. I appreciate your interest in my work and your dedication to exploring these important topics. I hope that our discussion has been insightful and that it continues to spark critical thinking and discussions about the state of our society and the importance of individual liberties. If you have further questions or thoughts in the future, I would be glad to engage in conversation once more. I wish you a pleasant evening and continued success with the Adams Archive. And on that note, my friends, I hope you have a wonderful day. I hope we as people stay free. I hope you subscribe and leave a five-star review. <laughs> I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening.